wonderful. Thank you. Well, I don't know if you noticed, but there was a lyric in that song that said, you are my friend and my brother. Jesus, you are my friend and my brother. And the scripture tells us that's true, that we are adopted children of God. And so it's in that vein that I want to ask us and invite us to have a little family conversation this morning. And so before we do that, I would like to take a moment and just ask our father to lead that conversation. Um, That's a good practice. So let's do that. Lord, we don't need to invite you here because we know that you're already here. So we invite ourselves. We invite our own spirits, our own minds to show up. We open our hands. We open our hearts. We open our minds to hear from you, to receive from you, to respond to you. Our kind, good, generous Father, would you help us to listen carefully to your voice? knowing that you are trustworthy and good and everything that you ask of us, we can do because your promises to us are yes and amen in Jesus. So come dwell with us during this time. Meet with us. Help us to walk away different. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, when I was growing up, one of my very favorite TV shows was Quantum Leap. Do we have any Quantum Leap fans in here? You guys remember that show? It was kind of a brainiac show, I admit. Um, but if you haven't seen it, in each episode, the main character, whose name is Sam, he gets sent to a different time in history. He inhabits the body of someone new for each episode. And each time, he doesn't know anything about the situation that he's walking into. He's often required to do things that are way outside of his comfort zone or expertise. In fact, in the very first episode, he has to be a Navy fighter pilot. When his co-pilot hands the controls over to him on their first flight so that he can go use the bathroom, Sam instantly panics, as you and I would if we were in that situation. Sam was constantly confronting his own inadequacy to do the thing that he had been called to do. Sometimes the situations he was in ended up being funny, but I'll confess that I sweated a lot as I watched the different predicaments that he got into. Well, years ago when I was in college, and we won't say how many years ago that was, I was confronted with the same sense of inadequacy and fear. You see, at that time, I had been asking myself a question. What do I have to offer God? His answer to me was a deep conviction that he had called me to be a missionary in a part of the world that had never heard the gospel before. Specifically, he called me to East Asia. But this must be a colossal mistake, I thought. The wires have surely gotten crossed, and that calling must be meant for someone else. Doesn't he know that I always forget to pack things when I travel? Or that the only language that I kind of know is French. That won't do me any good. And I hate eating weird things. No, this is a no good, very bad, mistakenly concocted, terrible idea. Nevertheless, I knew deep down in my bones that I had to say yes. After all, he had never 
forsaken me or abandoned me, and surely he would not start now. So I tried to learn some of the language the summer before I left. It did not go so well. In my first week of living there, I accidentally ended up causing some very expensive damage to my neighbor's car. I felt lonely on a team that had known each other for years, all except for me. Yikes! Surely I was the wrong person for this job. Surely there had been some unfortunate mistake. Now, I realize you may be thinking here, this is the most dismal intro to a sermon that I have ever heard, and you are probably right, but hang with me. We're going to take a look this morning at a few characters in the Bible who had one thing in common with me. They felt woefully unequipped for the task that God had called them to. So we'll start with the story of Noah. Now, God, if you remember, had told Noah to build a huge ark because he was going to send a flood that would completely cover the whole earth. You might remember Noah leading the animals two by two in the ark so that they could be saved from the flood. But maybe you haven't thought about this. When God called Noah and explained the grand plan to him, we are not told anything about Noah's occupation or history. It is unlikely that he had any experience whatsoever in shipbuilding or engineering. It's also unlikely that he had ever worked in animal husbandry, botany, or even meteorology. And yet God called Noah to a job that would involve all of these areas of expertise. So read along with me now from Genesis 5. Do we have it on the screens? Okay, so God said to Noah, make yourself an ark of cypress wood, make rooms in it and coat it with pitch inside and out. And this is how you're to build it. The ark is to be 300 cubits long, 50 cubits wide and 30 cubits high. Make a roof for it, leaving below the roof an opening one cubit high all around and put a door in the side of the ark and make lower, middle and upper decks. I'm going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens. Every creature that has the breath of life in it, everything on earth will perish. But I will establish my covenant with you and you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your son's wives with you. You're to bring into the ark two of all living creatures that move along the ground. Oh, sorry. Two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you. Two of every kind of bird, of every kind of animal, and of every kind of creature that moves along the ground will come to you to be kept alive. You are to take every kind of food that is to be eaten and store it away as food for you and for them. Now, can you imagine Noah being Noah and hearing this command from the Lord? I can guess at how that conversation might have gone. Me, Lord? Yes, you, Noah. Are you sure? I don't know how to do any of those things. I'll teach you. But what if I do a bad job? What if the ark sinks and the animals drown? Just listen to me and follow my instructions and all will go well. Okay, but what if I choose the wrong animals and they start fighting on the ark? What if they hurt each other? Or what if they hurt my family? 
I have watched Wild Kingdom before God. Don't worry, Noah. I will work everything out. All you need to do is the next thing I tell you. We'll go one step at a time. I've got you. And God was right, wasn't he? Somehow it all worked out the way that he said it would. Despite Noah's lack of expertise or experience. Did you know that Noah was 600 years old when he was called by God? I think that's a great reminder that we are never too old for a new calling from God. And speaking of old, do you remember Abraham? He eventually became known as the father of the Jewish nation, but he didn't start out that way. He started out as a total nobody in a podunk town, just living his life and minding his own business. And God totally interrupted things. So we're going to go to Genesis 12 now, starting in verse 1. The Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. And I will bless you. I will make your name great. And you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse whoever curses you. And all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. I love the verse that immediately follows that. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. Can you imagine being asked to leave everything you've ever known? To sell your house, to say goodbye to your whole family, to pack up your minivan, and just take off in an unknown direction. No clear destination, no Google Maps, no house waiting for you at the end, no amazing job offer or sizable raise, just a vague promise from God that was somehow enough. Abraham struggled with doubt and trust, just like you and me. He lied to protect himself, somehow afraid that God wouldn't pull through. He sometimes even took the easy way out when God's way seemed too hard. He tried to shortcut God's grace. And yet, God's promise to him never wavered. Abraham accepted that new calling from God when he was 75 years old. Now this was after the time that God had limited man's years to 120. So 75 was definitely retirement age. And yet God was calling him to a new job, a new sense of trust, a new adventure. Friends, there is no retirement in God's kingdom. If you have breath in your lungs this morning, then God has something for you to do in his kingdom. Abraham's story is shortly followed by that of Rebecca. Follow along with me in Genesis 24. I'm going to be reading from the message. Abraham was now an old man. God had blessed Abraham in every way. And he spoke to his senior servant in his household, the one in charge of everything he had. Put your hand under my thigh and swear by God, God of heaven, God of earth, that you will not get a wife for my son from among the young women of the Canaanites here, but you will go to the land of my birth and get a wife for my son Isaac. And now we're going to skip down to verse 10. The servant took 10 of his master's camels and loaded with gifts from his master, traveled to Aram Naharim, 
and the city of Nahor. Outside the city, he made the camels kneel at the well. It was evening, the time that women came to draw water. And he prayed, Oh God, God of my master Abraham, make things go smoothly this day. Treat my master Abraham well. As I stand here by the spring while the young women of the town come out to get water, let the girl to whom I say, Lower your jug and give me a drink. And who answers, Drink, and let me also water your camels. Let her be the woman that you have picked out for your servant Isaac. And then I'll know that you're graciously working behind the scenes for my master. It so happened that the words were barely out of his mouth when Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, whose mother was Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with a water jug on her shoulder. The girl was stunningly beautiful, a pure virgin. She went down to the spring, filled her jug, and came back up. The servant ran to meet her. Please, can I have a sip of water from your jug? She said, certainly, drink. And she held the jug so that he could drink. And when he had satisfied his thirst, she said, I'll get water for your camels too, until they have drunk their fill. She promptly emptied her jug in the trough and ran back to the well to fill it. And she kept at it until she had watered all of the camels. Now, I want us to really understand the gravity of what Rebecca did here. Did you know that a thirsty camel can drink more than 30 gallons of water, one camel, in 15 minutes? Do you remember how many camels were in this story? You can answer out loud. Do you remember? Anybody? 10, yeah. So so 30 times 10... That's somewhere in the neighborhood of 300 gallons of water that Rebecca would have drawn. This was not a quick or easy job that she did. And she did it for a total stranger with no promise of anything in return. Just take that in for a second. This girl was sweating in her practice of hospitality. She had to have been absolutely pooped. How did she even do it? If you haven't caught on by now, what all of these stories have in common is that God always gives his children what they need to live out his calling. Now, I bet Noah would have loved to have had Rebecca working on the ark with him, right? Our theme verse for this new series called Say Yes comes from a story in the book of Isaiah, chapter 6. We'll glance at it quickly, starting in verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the whole temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the threshold shook and the temple filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. 
and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and he said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here I am. Send me. The prophet Isaiah was having his own wrestling match with God. He begins the speech completely overwhelmed by his own sin. So much so that he cries out, woe is me, I am ruined. A little dramatic, right? But he ends his speech by answering God's call and saying, send me. Isaiah said yes to God, and he didn't even know what he was saying yes to. He hadn't gotten a job description or a list of qualifications He just said yes, because God had asked and because he had experienced and trusted the goodness, provision, and training of God. Friends, where God calls, he always provides. I wonder if you have ever had the same thoughts as all these men and women. Have you wondered, what do I have to offer God? Maybe you don't feel particularly smart. Maybe you can't carry a tune. Maybe you aren't the most eloquent speaker. Maybe you don't have much money to give. Maybe you aren't well-versed in how to win friends and influence people. All of us, if we are honest, have asked this question before. I wonder what your answer is. The pastor, Adam Weber, recounts a similar wrestling match on his road to learning to say yes to God, whatever was asked of him. He says this, In the Bible, we see all kinds of ordinary people being used by God. Abraham was too old. Moses stuttered. You've heard the stories. Their stories are powerful accounts of God using average people to do great things. But I still struggled to connect with them. Yes, they appeared to be quite average. But how average could they be if they're mentioned in the Bible? I know I'm not mentioned in the Bible. Years ago, on a visit home from college, my mom pulled out the hymnal and we sang, Here I Am, Lord. I knew the hymn well, but this time around, the words took on a completely different meaning. I thought of how God had brought light into my own darkness. How knowing Jesus had changed everything. Whom shall I send, the hymn asked. My answer was someone else. Sitting on that piano bench, a tug of war took place within me. I longed to tell the whole world what God had done in my life. But I figured it was probably best for me to stay out of the way so a more qualified person could do so. As we sang on, however, I heard my soul speak the words, I will go, Lord, if you lead me. Over the following weeks and months, I kept hearing myself quietly speak the words, Here I am, Lord, if you lead, I will follow. Then it's on you, right, Lord? 
A few more years would pass before I would sing, Here I Am, Lord, again. The next time was in Bismarck, North Dakota. I had finished seminary and was being ordained. At the very end of my ordination service, of all songs we sang, Who will bear my light to them? I will go, Lord, if you lead me. I was overwhelmed by God's faithfulness. For years he'd been speaking to me, preparing me, directing me. He wanted to use me. The truth is that on our own, we are inadequate in every way. On our own, we are disqualified from being used by God. Thankfully, it's not about who we are. It's about who God is. It's about his gifts, his abilities, his strength, his wisdom. And his potential, not ours. You see, when we start saying yes to him, he will begin to do the impossible in and through us. What about you, friends? Maybe you haven't said yes to God in a long time. Maybe not ever. Maybe you can't stop saying yes. Wherever you are today, God is asking us to enter this new sermon series with one question. What do I have to offer you, God? But here's the thing. God is not looking for offerings of the smartest, the most talented, the most righteous, the funniest, the most creative, or even the most faithful. He's looking for men, women, and children who are willing to offer him their yes. Knowing that he must show up, must provide what they lack, must do what they cannot. It would be natural for you to be asking right now, Okay, but how do I know what he wants me to do? How can I say yes when I don't even know what he's asking of me? I'm about to get real vulnerable here with you for a second. I'm going to share a secret. I do not love preaching. I'm going to say that again for those in the back who are sleeping. I do not love preaching. (laughs) And yet here I stand. A little over a year ago, Drew asked me to take on regular preaching duties. My first and honest response was, no, thank you. Next. (laughs) He encouraged and pressed me a little more until I begrudgingly said, I'll think about it. And though I have, and clearly I ended up saying yes, though I've grown in both my comfort and my experience preaching, I have to admit to you, if I really had my druthers, I'd be back in the nursery rocking a baby right about now. But I want you to understand why I said yes. It wasn't out of guilt or duty, or even some convoluted martyr complex. The reason I said yes was more basic than that. There was a need, and I could help meet it. It's as simple and as hard as that. There was no good reason not to say yes. Two years ago, if you can remember back that far, Our church said yes to some prescriptions that were given to us during our church transformation process. We made a vow as a church to commit to growth in three key areas. Outreach, worship, and the next generation, otherwise known as children and youth. 
as wonderful and as ambitious as these goals are, we simply cannot grow in any of these areas without the participation of the whole church family. God laid out a beautiful vision for us that we as a church have said yes to. But we cannot actually accomplish that vision and that mission unless each of you is willing to make a specific personal yes to serve in one or all of those three ministry areas. So if you are one of those wondering this morning what God is asking you to say yes to, the prescriptions are a great place to start. Last Sunday, if you heard the sermon, Drew issued a challenge at the end of his sermon. He asked you to spend 10 minutes every day in a listening posture accompanied by the Holy Spirit. This week, I want you to ask one simple question every day during those 10 minutes. God, what do you want me to say yes to at CHPC? And I want you to really take the time to listen. Even if you need to say, I'll think about it, like me, when he gives you your answer, take time to really pray and consider what he shows you. Don't let your fear, your preferences, or your gifts, or lack thereof, deter you from saying yes. Remember, God is the very best leader. He will never ask you to do something that he will not also give you the resources, support, and training that you'll need to accomplish. You've got a whole church full of brothers and sisters who are in the same boat as you. None of us are truly qualified on our own. We are all dependent on God to show up and to make up for everything that we lack. So as you sit with God this week in a listening posture, I'd like to also invite you to do one more thing. You'll get an email this week with a link to an online form. Click on that link and go and take a look at the opportunities that you have to say yes to God. Choose one, choose two, choose 20. I know it's scary. I know that this will be unfamiliar territory for some of us. But God is speaking to us. He's calling us to a new frontier of trust and risk. Where we have the chance to see him move in ways that we could not even ask or imagine. Arthur Kessler is quoted as saying, If the creator had a purpose in equipping us with a neck, he surely meant for us to stick it out. So stick your neck out, brothers and sisters. Take a risk for God. Take a risk with God. And watch him show up and teach you more than you ever thought possible as he grows his kingdom in and through you and this church. Amen. Let's pray together.